Welcome to Seishura, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Jim Jam. I'm Scoop Magoo. And uh, we are back with our uh, infamous book club segment. I don't know <laughs> infamous, if we've reached... Infamous, wow. I, I don't know if we're there yet, but you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brave, and I'm going to say that that's, that's what's happened. Uh, <laughs> so we, I think we meant to do this, I think, last week, uh, but we had some issues with shipping. For some reason, uh, I think... The, the U.S. Postal Service has something against Scott. Um, Actually, I, I swear to God, I got a package recently where it went from, uh, I think, like Indiana or somewhere to Mass and then up to New Hampshire, which is a nice normal route. Whereas, that doesn't, that, that, that makes no sense. It has to be inconvenient. Yeah, well, yeah, usually it's from, you know, Maine to Mass, then Jersey, then New York, yeah. then back up to Mass and then back to New Hampshire, which makes a lot, of, a lot more sense, honestly. Yeah. Well, a, anyway, we... Um, so due, due to just you know not being able to get this book in on time and things like that uh we had to you know kind of move some stuff around but i am very excited to talk about this this is um it's called all gates open and it's a book about the band can uh by uh rob young and ermin schmidt who uh if you're a can fan you will recognize as the uh keyboardist and kind of i guess co-founder in a way uh, we'll get to that, or you know what? We'll, we'll just talk about it now because um, this is not a traditional biography, or at least not entirely. So the book itself is split into two sections. Uh, the first section is just a normal biography where Rob Young, you know, interviews uh, everybody. Um, I think at the time, so I guess given the timeline, I don't think Michael Caroli was alive while he was interviewing for this and i and obviously jackie uh the drummer wasn't alive either i think um so you know you're mostly working with Herman schmidt and then even you know uh one of our earliest episodes was actually about holger suzuki's death um so you know all of this kind of came you know uh it's (laughs) i don't know where i'm going with this part i guess just that it's it's a very recent biography, but I think it pulls from pretty much everything from the beginning, even a little before their founding, uh, all the way until the end, you know, or at least um, I, pretty much Suzuki's death. Um, and so, but then the second part is uh, what is called the, the Can Cookbook, which is just... Um, it's difficult to describe. I don't know if I completely understand the idea behind it. I, I, I kind of equate it to being like if all gates, if like the biography section is like the superego, like the canned cookbook is kind of like the id almost. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of felt like like the equivalent of like a two disc set. The first half is like the album and the second half which is just a bunch of like these, outtakes yeah outtakes b-sides yeah there, stuff but, like that. but but i mean i feel like outtakes is maybe putting it a little generously it's <laughs> it's it's mostly compiled by Erwin schmidt it's about it's sort of like random conference i think it's it's like six different parts i believe um yeah i will say it was obvious which section was written by the writer and which yeah. which was compiled by the yeah you know, the but, non-writer we'll, 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 we'll get to the quality of uh 
the can cookbook i think in a little bit but to, just suffice to say it, it's kind it's not exactly meant to be uh you know a biographical document as much as it's supposed to be kind of like you know um kind of a look at one of the minds who was behind this music you know and kind of trying to understand the the you know you know kind of the the idea behind everything mm-hmm. uh in a way uh i i you know, I think it's debatable whether it accomplishes this goal, but we will get to it. Um, I guess, first off, let's just talk about, you know, sort of our relationship with the band, because, I, I mean, I think you introduced me to Can, if I remember right. Yeah, I, I was... I kind of got into them um, around the same time I was getting into vinyl, so I think it was a specific experience that really helped spawn my interest in the band uh i looked up uh, i just really liked the cover for take omega i just thought yeah. it was really cool I was like, what are I, did, did you catch that that section where, where they actually said that they didn't like the cover really oh yes yeah yeah Which is weird because it also is very much um like that's the first thing you thought you think of when you see the cover of the book so it's it's interesting yeah. how well know. oh see i i always i thought of I, I thought of the song Mushroom. Well, I thought, you know, like kind yeah. of the, the spindly lines and whatnot, that, that it pulled me right to. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I just, I, I mean, I guess we're already going off the rails a little bit, but I, I think it's funny that they, like in that conversation, because I, I think this, like this conversation actually pops up in the canned cookbook where Ehrman mentions that he didn't really like the Tegomego cover a ton, uh, but he also didn't have an issue with the other cover that was just picture of them in concert which i've seen that cover and it's i i don't think it's it's anything compared to that you know the original like tagomago cover so yeah, anyway i, I mean the right yeah not to get too off the rails but they definitely that's really weird to me because i think uh monster movie soon over babaluma and tagomago i just quickly pulled up the rest of, i think those are easily their best covers the rest Verge on like I, I, I like Future Days a lot actually. Um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, like, I, didn't... I, I like the Art Nouveau kind of thing, though. I guess it's it's like the German version of Art Nouveau, and I I can't remember the exact name of that. But yeah, but I forgot um, about that one. It was, it was in but, the... I mean, even Ege Bamiasi, I, I think it's kind of cool. Like it's it's distinctive. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, you see, I've seen it in record stores a lot, um, but I, I, I haven't. I wish I did more. <laughs> well, back in the, yeah, it, it's weird that that kind of happened. That I used to see them quite a bit in record stores. Maybe there was, yeah. like, there was like a repress. They had, I don't know. In any case, yeah. anyway, um, yeah. So I found a really cheap copy on like one. One is a really nice blue marble. One is is a, like one of the LPs is a nice purple marble. And obviously, there are some really, really long songs on Take Omega, so I really got to engage with each side, each side really deeply. Uh, so I mm. think it just really spawned my interest in the band. Um, the fact that there's so much, there's so much to the record, and it's it's very dynamic. Obviously, more so in terms of of you know LP one versus LP two. It's not interdispersed. Um, all that much it's very much you know side one is, is like experimental you know kraut rock psych rock and then you know lp2 is kind of just <laughs> it's just like like, it, like fu- fuck your face open yeah, experimental yeah exactly uh but then i really enjoyed uh you know the exploration we did this was when i was on long island that was a, that was a what, two three 
four years yeah, it, a while it's ago. A long time ago. Yeah. yeah we, 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 we ended up talking about, I think, their entire discography. Yeah. And, Remember right? Yeah, I think we, we are the vast majority of, of their albums. I, I, um, I think the only, I think we only talked about studio albums. So, like, when it came to, like, compilations or when it came to, uh, was it Delay 1969 or, um, what was it, 69 or 67? I, I can never remember. But, um, um, you know, like those type of um, things that were kind of more, you know, I guess posthumous compilations almost in a way, uh, like lost tapes, things like that. We, we didn't talk about any of that, but, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, like I really, I re- I mean, obviously monster movie is, um, is a little bit more, uh, at the you know, the, the blueprint of their sound a little bit more, uh, stripped back, at least compared to the rest of their discography. And, and then mm-hmm. another favorite is soon over Babaluma. I really liked how that kind of embraced a little bit more, uh, it's been a while, but I think it was a little bit more world inspired. There was a little bit more, kind of, you know, a sense for space, a little bit more atmospheric. Um, see, I I just don't remember anything, uh, mostly because like I pretty much like I I just remember I I guess my only memory from from really listening to their entire discography all those years ago was that like everything after Future Days just wasn't worth listening to again in my mind. <laughs> I, I um, think I felt that which, way except which for I, Babylon. I, I'll admit, I, I'll admit, a little dismissive of me, but, you know, <laughs> just, well, I don't know, the, 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 there were some pretty bad albums near the end. Yeah, I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of a common, I mean, when you're constantly experimenting and trying to push yourself, I mean, maybe this is a, you know, obviously I don't know what happened in their career necessarily, um, you know, like in, ter- like, in terms of, like, how they approached the the quality of their music, I'm sure they would, you know, rustle at the fact saying that like they hit a decline. But um, I, I just, I, I feel... mean, even Ermin went on record was like, yeah, like, uh, what was it? And it wasn't right time. It was uh, out of reach. Like he was just like, that was a bad album. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. just quickly pulling up your music. Yeah, I could see. For me, I, d- I did really like Soon Over Babylon, but I remember as we were listening to. God, did we really listen to all these studio albums? Oh my we gosh! We did. I, I guess that kind of that kind of shows how they weren't super memorable because I don't remember listening to them. Yeah, I <laughs> I honestly I just have so little interest in listening to most of those again. Um, I I want to say I think it was on Saw Delight the uh, the track Animal Waves. I remember really digging that, but like that was like the one highlight out of like you know four or five albums at least. So. <laughs> but um, I feel like when you hit such highs like they they yeah. did, I, I mean, even if they were one of those you know deep or not deep cut, but one of those one hit acts where they put out one big album and they kind of faded away, and that album was Take Omega, they would still have an enormous impact. So, oh yeah, yeah, I, and I think I, I guess this is kind of our uh, excursion to start talking about the actual book itself. Um, that I, I think they really talk about, you know, how like that decline. You know, and I, I think the the thing that really I, I I kept noticing again and again, which really surprised me, was sort of their process, which was just so improvisational. Um, and yet, you know, like it, it it was interesting to see the ways that they would sort of use improvisation, but also kind of knock it down mm-hmm. in its own way by just just by you know by by want of you know their uh, sort of the way they recorded everything and how they wanted you know certain like 
they did, like how they would splice the tapes exactly and then bring it back to Jackie and like see if it was like good enough for him because he always had to have the groove going. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Like it was super cool. Yeah, and it's interesting how much they, you know, especially, you know, diving into the the early days like they did, how much of a diverse background that they all brought to the mm. table and how it kind of came together in such an interesting way. Uh the one one note I wrote down because in some ways it's a reminder that I really need to listen to more Stockhausen. Uh, yeah. There was a quote. Uh, what was it? Sorry, I'm trying what, to... I'm trying to... Was it the letter that Stockhausen sent to, to keep Damo Suzuki no, from being kicked no, out? No, it was... Um, you know, Holger said, at the time when I studied with him, uh, you know, Holger once said of Stockhausen, he was the church in the village. Everything, all the houses were built around this church. Uh, and it's... Just interesting to think like how much of an you know kind of a a focal point he was or an oh, yeah. inspiration rather. I, you know I, w- w- what was a really cool note was that it was not only Stockhausen but a number of these like avant-garde you know musicians at the time. I think they just uh, knowing Serge Cherepin or I I Cherep Cherepnin I I can't I don't know how to pronounce his name entirely but you know that's some real electronic music history there because he went on to develop the search uh synthesizer system which was you know maybe not as talked about as some of his other contemporaries at the time but was still really cool like i I just thought it was really interesting to see all of these people rubbing elbows um just in like I, i i just find that fascinating just so much and i it, like i mean stockism was kind of like the nucleus of that in mm-hmm. a way um you know it, he, he again he just proves himself to be such a like revolutionary figure in modern music mm-hmm. and yet like i feel like there's nobody talks about him unless they're talking about like the beatles in a way because <laughs> he's on uh he was on yeah, sergeant peppers yeah but but also well, I mean, on, on the cover yeah, but but like I mean, so is Aleister Crowley, but you don't see the Beatles talking about Aleister Crowley all that much. But I mean, it's, it's um, it, like it, it's a maybe it's just because like the name, it's a cool name, and people like when people aren't familiar with genres, they like to have, um, you know, like oh, I'm really into classical. I listen to a lot of Stockhausen. I feel like it's the same thing with jazz. Like, I don't think anybody has been like I'm into classical. I listen to Stockhausen. Well, I'm, I'm thinking. You know, I, like, I'm getting, getting, I, I, I I get what you mean. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, I listen to jazz. Get really into some cold. Like they have whenever someone says they're getting into a genre. I guess the more I meant is they get they name like one artist they've been listening. I'm to. getting really into rock. Have you ever heard of this band called the Beatles? <laughs> I I they're almost as good as the, this up and coming band called the Rolling Stones. But so just maybe so like really 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 hyper quick excursion. But we have like a weekly company wide meetings and, and occasionally people will do like a show and tell about themselves. And without <laughs> without fail, every time someone has said, "Oh, I listen to a little bit of everything." Like one person said, they collect vinyl. Um, it is they then explain it by clearly showing that they do not listen to everything. It's it's so far it's been classic rock, EDM, and country. And that's kind of been it, and it's like, well, I mean, I guess that's those are I mean, those it, are. It, it's a bigger swath than just being like, oh yeah, I listen to Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> that's oh man. <laughs> At least it isn't just like, oh yeah, I listen to Greta Van Fleet. Can't wait for that new album out now. Supposedly, 
it's better, and they've branched out from the Zeppelin. Board. Really? I don't know if I want to listen. I to it. yeah, no, um, I I'm I, I'm I'm all set there. But I'm saying like uh, people I mean, like people who felt the same way we felt about their debut said that. So I'm like maybe there's something there, but I don't know. Yeah, just, I think just like the way they they tr- they said like hey like we don't even know who Led Zeppelin are. I'm like that kind of turned me off. So I'm like yeah. really, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking so, of bands around in the '70s, <laughs> yeah, Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, oh man, yeah, the, 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 there's so much to just kind of jump on here. I have a ton of notes. Um, I, I really found, like, just you know, really the the way they formed and the way they created stuff to just be utterly fascinating. Um, what what I caught early on what I thought was really cool was sort of their political stance or at least sort of the relationship between politics and their music mm-hmm. because like it, th- there were numerous times where they were like, yeah, like our music isn't political, but like we're aware of what's going on and that kind of drives us to make it almost like it, it was such an interesting relationship. Like I, I really like, I found that really cool because I think it was, it, you know, we're talking about a time in, in history where, like, you know, so much music at the time was so... Overtly like, political. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was just, like, indistinguishable, almost. Mm-hmm. But, like, they were... They pointedly, like, made, you know, like... The, or they made a point to, you know, sort of... Not necessarily differentiate them, but to say that, like, the music's music. Like, you know, kind of. I, I, I guess it's sort of the best way, and... I don't know, I, I like I'm not, I'm not gonna try to, you know, say that this is, you know, like works fucks with my doctrine or whatever, you know, but I, I just like I think just given that time and sort of especially given, you know, how political Germany was, especially just sort of that generation of Germany was, uh, at that time. I mean, you know, the like our Irma Schmidt, I think well, he, he got kicked out of high school because he uh denounced one of his teachers as a former Nazi. Yeah, uh, you know, just just like to, for someone to have like the balls like 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 that, you know, but also to say, hey, like, we're, like the, this music is is not political in a way. I I I, I just find that super interesting. Yeah, and the, the, um, that was a really I don't want to say it was really cool, but like it was interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting to read because that was one of the most you know both of the world wars, obviously, but but certainly you know what what happened in the wake of World War Two. Like, it's crazy to read people just recount. Like, they were so close to one of the most, mm. you know, you know, uh, world-shaking moments in history. And to be, like, that, you know, that close, you know, yeah. separated by years, you know, a few decades versus, you know, almost a century or approaching a century like we are. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, I think also sort of, I mean... In terms, also in terms of just sort of their creating, just sort of how, um, I guess, willing to take a chance they were, like how open they were to trying oh, new yeah. things. Uh, I mean, just the the fact that, I, and I I guess this is true that that like literally like um, where is it? Uh, sorry, I. But oh, oh, father cannot yell. That's what I was thinking of. That like literally the the take that is on monster movie that literally starts off the album their first album is literally the first track they ever made as like a full band yeah 
and it was just like they just met Malcolm Mooney and he, they were just like hey can you sing on this and it was just like there we go fuck yeah. it and there was one quote it was oh we played on anything a lot of the sound we made came from it'll come comes from bottles and saucepans and stamping on the floor it's also a very important, important concept also developed afterwards is where you, where to exactly place a microphone that anything you hit a rubber blow into makes music it, and just, I love how I mean you know this is other parts of the book just how nonchalant they are about like these tactics that are not you know like you ask yeah. the average music fan they're like is that do bands do that like is that, is that a thing <laughs> well yeah they again like it was just really cool to see how the like that sort of that melting pot that you know you had these two guys who had like learned under Stockhausen but then you also have like this guy who you know was a jazz drummer who had kind of played everything in jazz you know and you like have all these people just come together and make something that is all of those things and yet none of them at the same time yeah absolutely like, so so damn cool uh, or just like those little like recording moments like i think they talked about um i can't remember the track but um that demo was a like it was from like a sound that his beanbag made uh and the, the, like they just like sampled that basically mm. and like used that as the base for I, I, I like that's super cool um but and sort of the way everything was had this like collective energy to it like I, like I, I, so I, when I started this thing, um, you know, I think there's a point at the beginning. I think in like the first chapter where uh, they say something like, you know, like can is like all of us, but like, but it's like something beyond us almost. Like I, I, I'm, I'm definitely mincing words here, but like that was the gist I got from it. And when I first read that, I was like, yeah, that that that, that seems a little uppity, kind of like that. That, that like, of course, like a music collective is gonna say that, you know. Um, but it was right on, like it, like just to see how they made these things and just sort of how everybody got their their share in things, you know. How it, you know, I think it wasn't until what, like soon over Babaluma or maybe even after that, that they finally started giving. Uh, song credits to in individual artists within the group mm -hmm. like just little things like that um, but I think the collective part of it um, I, I don't know if you noticed this I mean I see part of it is because I, I've read a book on these guys uh, so I, I was thinking about this a little bit more but um, they sort of the, the whole collective democratic process that they were doing reminded me a lot of Henry Cow actually mm, yeah oh yeah I could totally yeah. see that but I, I, but it's weird because like Henry Cow like fizzled out like super fast, uh, whereas like these guys you know were around for a while or at least you know uh, e even when they weren't making music together they really were still within each other's orbits mm -hmm. a lot and um, I, it's just it's just strange the difference between that I, I and the only difference I can see is that I think they you know like can okay sorry. Uh... Guy That's have great. Really big balls. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think it's because he has a really tiny dick. Yeah, no. So, there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I was saying that I, I think the difference between Henry Cow and Can, almost in a way, was that like it, it always felt like Can didn't have like this doctrine, and like they, it, it's almost like they didn't have this bureaucracy, kind of keeping them down. Like Henry Cow, like actually has records of like band meetings and like they would like vote on shit and stuff like that 
it, be, be, because they were all about like you know basically being communist kind of. Um, I feel like that, but I feel like that's not a great. That just sounds so, no, it, sounds so it, it weird. Really, to me. It really doesn't. It sounds terrible, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I just, it's, it's just that, that doesn't sound like. Like, it's funny when you, when you think of a, you know, a, I think of like just, you know, unbridled creativity and pushing boundaries and just, you know, really, really innovative music. I think of bands like Henry Cow and Can. And like that, that process is like the antithesis of what. Yeah. That's so weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, you know, uh, not to editorialize or anything, but that's kind of why I don't like politics a ton. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just takes the fun out of fucking everything. Uh, but, you know, neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I, I, I just found that, like, just to compare those two, because, I mean, they were around at the same time, and mm. yet they did stuff just enormously differently, and yet they produced results that, you know, are, are somewhat similar, and yet one really it just felt like they died really quick and whereas like you know can like it, it felt like they were always together like in a way like even even when they weren't you know a band anymore mm-hmm. like yeah but I, so overall what what did you um what do you think of this book um i mean it was definitely interesting to learn more about the band i mean it was it was cool especially just the initial imagery i liked how they opened you know kind of revisiting the place where they recorded so much yeah music and it, yeah. it was kind of weird at first because reading it you're like wait a second like what what are we talking about <laughs> just like yeah they, cause, they, they, there were a few moments i don't know if you noticed this where uh rob young would shift the tense to present even though he was talking about a moment that happened in the past yeah which I, I like I I admire that that like ballsy attitude towards it but I don't really know if it worked out but anyway yeah I, I will say I I was not the I think compared to other books we've read I kind of liked uh, I forget the author of the radiohead book like he 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 totally embraced kind of like a personal account um, mm. and then when we read uh, the rest is noise I feel like he was very objective. Uh, and I yeah. felt like Rob Young kind of hit somewhere in the middle and it didn't always work for me. Uh, like, sometimes it felt like he was a bit too... Like, he, he inserted himself? Yeah, like, obviously you don't want to don't want to state the obvious, but if you're going to write, you know, such a detailed book about a band, I mean, I got to assume you're a fan. <laughs> got to yeah. assume that he's a huge fan of Can, but sometimes it felt like he... Uh, like, there was one quote I... Um, uh, let me see if I can find it real quickly. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, okay. like a tape of Can's magical opening night was made, and extracts, you know, extracts were released in 1984 as a cassette. By any standard, for a band in its first month of existence, the session is remarkable. It sounds like nothing else of its time. And there's other quotes like that, was just a little. Um, and then that specific section, he goes on to list, you know, it was it was in '68, like what music was going on at the time, but he glosses over the white light white heat came out that year and then obviously zappa and the mothers of invention have been going strong that entire time uh or, or like a few years before that um yeah so i i, I felt like that was um that was something that kind of hung over me the, the entire time as i felt like you know we totally shift and kind of peel back the curtain and reveal kind of how you know from just kind of an objective narrator to um yeah a bit of a fanboy um 
Yeah, I, I, I could see that. See, when you said self-insertion or, like, you know, kind of um, not as objective as it could be, I, I my first thought was, like, oh, I felt like, you know, like, that he possibly just kept talking about himself in it, which I felt the only time he really did that was the first chapter where he sort of introduced himself and sort of his relationship with the music, almost. Um, and there were very few times in between. But, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Um I mean, I, I think when it comes to, like, something like Zappa, like, I don't know, I mean, I, it, it is kind of weird how he glosses Zappa over. Uh, it felt like he gave more time to Velvet Underground, uh, but not Zappa. But even then, like, both of those, they, they, they just felt like almost like footnotes. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of what... You, you have to wonder, though, how, like, how cognizant, you know like Ermin and Holger and like Michael and Jackie were kind of of that music at the time because it, it it's not like you know they had you know Spotify and they could just go and yeah. be like oh what's the new avant-garde album that's coming yeah, out I mean for sure I mean that's definitely a, a context that I, I, I try to keep in mind and oftentimes will forget is that like well how could they have not known all these bands it's like well because it was 1968 and that's not you know it wasn't as easy to to acquire some of these artists, yeah. especially because a lot of these were in the underground, so you weren't necessarily going to see press. You know, obviously we, the Joy Division book we read, you know, there were you know pressings of the local scene you could find in you know local record store or what have you. But it's not like you know underground stuff was really making its way across the pond. Um, yeah, all that often. So, so you know, so, so that was kind of like your big um, biggest complaint, kind of with the book, I guess. Yeah, it. it, it was a little bit yeah I mean I, I just I felt like as a narrator it, it took me out of of the book a little bit it also was just very um, like it, it was it was interesting to me but it was a, a very um, yeah. it, it could be dry at times yeah I think that there are a few things that kept me from from enjoying it as much as you know some of the other books we've we've read um, but I mean, it, it was interesting to learn more about the band. I mean, again, like the the early imagery, especially about like you know where they used to record and like the conditions and whatnot. Um, it, it was good to hear that not everyone had a kind of a Captain Beefheart esque because I think that was what I thought of going in. I knew they were you know somewhat of a collective. I wasn't sure if it was you know quite the same as you know the the Trout Mask replica circumstances. Um, yeah, of of one person kind of domineering over everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, no, it, it was really cool to see sort of that democratic process. I mean, I I have to agree. It it was definitely dry at times. I I think part of the issue in the biography was in the biography section was like kind of pacing. Mm. I felt because like you know he would spend like all these chapters talking about like I mean there were at least I I think there were at least three chapters dedicated to before. I think even Monster Movie came out, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. um, which I, I, I found all that information really interesting. But then after that, you have like pretty much a chapter for each album until you hit Soon Over Babaluma. And then it felt like he was doing like two for each chapter. And then I think in like the last one, like I think he had like maybe even, it was at least two. Like it, it just felt like he glossed over sort of later, like their later discography. Uh, and I mean, I, I get why because you know it's like it's it's not as 
interesting. It's not as well, you know, well talked about, but it's much more well documented in a way. Mm-hmm. So I'm just surprised he didn't just give it the same attention. Um, but I mean, it, it, it was definitely getting up in pages at that time. So I felt like, you know, you probably had to end it at some point. Um, which I guess brings us to the can cookbook part of things, <laughs> because I, I, I need to talk about this because this is my biggest gripe with this book, like by far, because I like w- when I when I read like sort of the blurb online about this book, uh, I thought that was a really cool idea to see, you know, someone from the band kind of coming in and sort of giving their own spiel in a way. But man, this thing was just like unnecessary it just it just felt like it was completely unneeded and at times it felt really self-serving oh yeah Um, absolutely i I mean it was i mean it it was i mean like there were parts of it that were just like it it was literally ermin schmidt's dream journal like (laughs) and it's not even like it was ermin schmidt's dream journal from like 1972 we're talking about like 2014 i know like yeah so it's just like how is this relevant at all to this book at all yeah i mean in a way uh, i've used this example before there was uh, the band called self-defense family where they had a two-part 40-minute interview with a, a former um like sex worker and oh, it was just like her yeah. interview but like it was 20 minutes was in the middle of the album 20 minutes was at the end so like if you wanted to listen to the album, how it was constructed, you had to get through at least the 20 minute interview in the middle. Um, and I think that's just poor, you know, that's poor construction. I think with yeah. this, I mean, at least there were two separate parts. I mean, I, I share your, your sentiments, but you know, in some ways it was kind of nice how you, you could get the meat of it up front. Like you read the biography and then in some ways it was optional, but yeah. yeah but but it, it just, it didn't feel like there was anything of substance in there. Like, I, I think what, what I enjoyed the most from the Can Cookbook was kind of the, the first section that had all these interviews with different musicians who were inspired by Can. Oh, yeah. And like, just sure. different artists. But the thing is, I, I felt like a lot of, even a lot of those interviews had a lot of kind of fluff and, like, extraneous parts to it. Yeah. And I just don't know why they just didn't take the like like the good like the really interesting quotes from those and just put them into the biography itself yeah and like, i i think the word you self-serving was very you know even though you know i have my issues with, with you know rob young being you know obviously a very big can fan there's just that natural object uh, excuse me objectivity built in because he's not he's not can you know he was not in yeah. the band he's, he's not writing about himself and i just you're totally right that it felt like this really was someone who is, is a non-writer, you know, not someone who, um, it, it really, in some ways it felt like they let, they wanted to honor him by letting him kind of do whatever he wanted. Yeah, and unfortunately see, that, that's not, that's what I mean. That doesn't make for a good book necessarily, but, or, you know, a good, so yeah. I, I'm trying to think about this just as fairly as I can, because I, I was sort of, I, I was thinking about this even while I was reading the can cookbook section. Um, that I, I feel like part of the reason this feels so self-serving and so kind of um, all about Ermin is because Ermin's the only one left alive right now. Yeah. And so, like, I, I wonder if we were talking about a different time, you know, if, if Rob Young had written this book, you know, 10 years ago, um, whether it would be a little different because, you know, you would get input from other members of the band. 
but still i i just felt like what what this section sort of set out to do it really didn't accomplish um and really i i i, I don't feel like it really like uh, you know like, like sometimes you know, to, to go back to your previous uh sort of analogy that we used at the beginning of this episode that this is kind of like almost like the second disc that comes with like a deluxe edition of an album that like you have like all the outtakes and things like that but the thing is like i i think you know those outtakes are for like really big fans who are interested to see the differences and to sort of see where the band was at a certain time and what have you but I don't think there's anything for hardcore can fans to really get out of the can cookbook for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just felt like like I think if you are specifically a fan of Erman Schmidt, like it in not even like Erman Schmidt while he was like, you know, in, in while they were like in like that late 70s era where like can was like kind of broken up but not really. Like you know, I I like that could be interesting, but it wasn't even that. Like, it was Erman Schmidt, like, 2014. Like, you know, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to diminish the man's accomplishments because he's done a lot aside from his work from Cannes. Like, he, he really, like, I, you have to admire the guy's work ethic, you know, and just sort of um, the creativity that comes from what he's done. I mean, the, the, the guy wrote a fucking opera, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, it, it's just, like, this is a book about can this is not a book about Erman schmidt in even at the beginning of this book they're like can is more than who we are you know can was a collective that kind of transcended its members and so like it just feels like it's completely reversing on that like exact quote in a way and just saying oh here's some stuff about me yeah like like okay fine like it's just, I don't know, I I just don't know why they didn't just publish it like separately because I I'm sure like Ermin could have easily, but yeah, and I I think yeah. uh, I think a point you made earlier um, is actually really really on the nose that you know this might have been different if, if more members of, of or if any other members of of camera still yeah. alive. And I, I mean Malcolm Mooney's still alive, Damo Suzuki's still alive. So like, why didn't you talk to them? Yeah. And, and I think that that reminded me of uh, you know Decibel, the metal magazine. Yeah, they they do a monthly Hall of Fame, and they won't cover an album unless every member is alive and is willing to do an interview. Uh, huh. Which I at first I thought was weird, but I think something you said earlier is actually really important. And in a way, it was you know, something I thought about in reference to the Joy Division book we read. Is that you know having that. Um, I think it would have been really interesting to hear Ian Curtis's, you know, input. You know, you heard a little bit yeah. with, with interviews here and there. Obviously, there's a reason, you know, it's a pretty obvious reason you didn't hear his input from the modern day. But I think in the same regard, um, you know, the remain, re- remaining members of the band, a lot of times they told pretty much the same account in a different way, but sometimes they offer different perspectives. So I think it's you make a good point that you know, having more voices in the room who experienced, you know, the same, you know, same processes, the same things, but obviously at different vantage points, you know, that probably would have been valid. But kind of yeah. more importantly to the other logical extent, when you only have one member kind of driving the show, it's a little, you know, it's a little self-serving. It's a little, you know, just inherently one-sided. You just can't, yeah. you can't get it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in all fairness, Ehrman was kind of the person who put 
all these things together who kind of got the gears, you know, kind of whirring for Can. But, you know, again, it, it they were a band that's really, like, even listening to them, like, you know, listen, I, I think I had parts of soundtracks on, like, I, I had Mother Sky um, on while I was reading some of this, just because I was, you know, I, I wanted to re-familiarize myself with it a little bit. Um, and it's just like, I... I don't hear any of them on it, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, like, like, you know, Damo's purposefully, you know, pretty low in the mix, you know, because everybody kind of has their spot to shine. And through that collaboration, nobody has a spot in a way because mm-hmm. it, it all kind of just melts together. And so it, I don't know, it, it just, I guess it's like, I, I, I don't want to seem, um, you know, sour about this. Uh, because I, I really enjoyed this book a lot. I really thought the biography section was interesting. Uh, because I, I mean, I've just been in a mood to read band biographies as of late. But also, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I found it to be a really, like, interesting picture of uh, sort of a, a historic time in music that I feel like doesn't get enough documentation. Um, you know, I, I, at least from what i've seen because there are some books about crop rock around but they're kind of few and far between um so it, I, I think it was just cool if, if only to see this as you know an overview of one of you know like arguably the quintessential kraut rock band which ironically i don't really think of can as a kraut rock band after reading this but like, like nonetheless you know <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's something that I um, always enjoy about these kind of accounts. Like you said, it's not as, you know, not as common, which is interesting to me because I feel like Can is, I thought, well-regarded. I mean, you run into your issues of trying to acquire some of their back, back um, CDs and whatnot, but I'm a little interested because this book came out in, was it 2019 or 2020? Uh, I, I think, let's see. It came out within the last couple of years. Yeah, it, it I it was announced. I remember seeing it like back in like twenty seventeen. I almost want to say. Oh yeah, yeah uh, the first tw- published twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean to your yeah. point, I'd be interested that this didn't you know something like this didn't come out sooner. Um, but yeah, something that's really cool about reading these accounts or you know kind of reminded me of the Joy Division book is is talking about bands like that are so new and fresh. Like they talked about how uh, in the early let me see if I can pull another quote, but they were t- you know. They were li- um, yeah, me, Lamontio, meanwhile, was involved in the extraordinary Indian music influence dances of... Uh, oh. did, did you say Lamont Young? Lamont Young. Yeah. Um, we, we should listen to this Lamont yeah. Young, actually, for an episode. But uh, I might have... I might have taken a bad screenshot. Like, I, I like to... I just... I snap pictures when I'm reading for these episodes uh-huh. I feel like it's, it's uh, in any case they were mentioning uh, like there was one section where they talked about how uh, they wanted their drumming to sound a lot like Max Roach you know I, I love Max Roach and then they talked a lot about uh, the quote I'm thinking of I don't have a verbatim unfortunately it was just how like in the early months of the band they were really influenced by I thought it was Velvet Underground like that's why I, I wish I had wish I had the quote because I thought that's who they said that they had listened to a lot at the time um and that's so interesting to me, like how hot and you know fresh off the presses a lot of this stuff was, and how much you know this really innovative time. And I maintain that the 
the 60s and 70s were you know one of the, maybe the most experimental or at least important experimental period of rock music so to, oh I, I, undoubtedly yeah and, and to like read about how like all this stuff was happening at the same like this groundbreaking music that just did you know kind of pinball off of each other and helped to yeah. you know, further it i just I, I think that's really cool but i i as i'm fascinated with early electronic music and just how much time was spent on it here i i that really made me happy just to like I, I, I really wish somebody would do like a book that just took place entirely within that uh, Cologne uh, music electronic music center because I, I think that that would just be so so worth reading mm-hmm. um, just to think about like what they were doing like because I mean I, I don't know how familiar you are with like that sort of era but like they were using like fucking test equipment that like you know was meant for like you know, military research and shit mm-hmm. to, to, and like, like those were the earliest like oscillators and shit like that. And like, I just found that so cool. No, um, I mean, that, that's, it's fascinating how like a lot of the stuff they were pointing out, um, you could have, you know, synth packs or like there's, you could, you know, find samples or whatnot, or, like, or how much would, would be sampled from like records nowadays. You even just bring it full circle, like sampling old early electronic music. Um, it, it's interesting how, they really had to do that kind of guerrilla tactics, like you said, <laughs> and you know, kind of yeah. do stuff hands on. Whereas, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely changed. It, it, electronic music, in particular, it's crazy how how much. Oh st- yeah, stuff has I, I I really like. I I'm so fascinated by this stuff. Um, I mean, part of it's just because I, I I find the gear really interesting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I so I I mean overall like I. I think I enjoyed it probably a little more than you did. Um, I don't see myself probably ever reading the Can Cookbook again, though. Um, but the biography itself, I it was so worth it. I, I think if anybody is a fan of Can, I I cannot recommend this thing highly enough uh, because you know it will get you the information that you want basically. Because I mean, I was always curious about like how they did what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this answered it and did much more, even more than that. So, yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. I, but it's like you said earlier, like, I, I think it makes sense to package this as, as one unit, so to speak. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if a publisher would have, um, would have run <laughs> with the cookbook. Uh, I think if they I mean, saw, I, like. I I think they would have, honestly. You think so? Like. Yeah, be, because uh, publishers have published even dumber things. <laughs> so, well, not to say that the canned cookbook is dumb. I, I just, like, I, I think it has a very niche audience and, like, a very niche audience. Uh, but I still think it's publishable. Uh, because, I mean, like, like look, if, if, if people are reading memoirs of, like, every fucking celebrity out there, you know, like, why wouldn't this count because i mean at least this is you know like a you know something like an artist who has actually done something as opposed to just kind of just been famous in yeah, a way that's fair. um like I, I i i can see some like I, I can see some you know publishers who publish sort of in this area being really interested in it i i i just again i i feel like its biggest issue is just that it it never 
never felt like it was adding anything and like the parts that i felt like it did add could have just been in the biography itself so yeah but in some ways I'm, I, I'm just glad that it was its own section like i, I could see a yeah. different world where they like you know and now t- time to time to take a break to dive into the mind of urban and just like like a little pull-up section where it's like here's something for my dream journal it's like that's that's okay. you know would be really funny as if, as if it was like uh like a cartoon version of ermine just kind of like <laughs> pointing at the in. yeah just be like oh hey <laughs> i'm i'm thinking of when like in, in high school english when i was going to turn another leaf and actually read the book we were assigned and it was of <laughs> yeah course, right. I, I chose to do that with moby dick where there are literally just in the uh-huh. middle of the book there's passages about like you're whaling. Yeah, like whaling. Like yeah. actual, actual like, this is how you cut up whales. Yeah, the, the, like, the, all the diagrams yeah. and everything. I'm picturing yeah. something like that where, like, in the middle of this book, like, right after we, we finish hearing about Monster Movie, it's like, and now, here's the dream I had last week. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. <laughs> so th- this is going to be uh, a little little niche kind of esoteric pull, and it's going to be my last thing kind of before, uh, you know, unless you have anything else to add before we move on to albums of the week. But, um... Well, whenever I think of having like kind of like this cutaway, I think of uh, silly songs with Larry from Veggie Tales of of all things. I don't know if you remember I, that at I all. Vaguely, I vaguely remember this reference, and it's such a yeah. such a fun reference to bring into this episode. <laughs> I mean, I, considering the can of okra, I mean, kind of relevant, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's. Uh... <laughs> I, I'm I'm really I'm really pulling hard for that. But like, how weird is it when you think about Veggie Tales? Like, what an odd thing that like our parents approved. Oh yeah, approved. It, it, it's the, the the whole thing is yeah, it's uh, fundamentalist Christian vegetables. <laughs> Although, like, I I mean, if if you really like, there's some concept art for you right there. Like, the, <laughs> there's a message. Like, yeah. the, the, there's a political statement right there. <laughs> also, a uh, petition to rename it Cucumbers for Christ. Oh my God! Yes. Okay. I I, the, I I guess that's what I'm doing after we're done recording. Um, okay. So uh, let's let's talk about albums of the week. Uh, we have a good ten minutes, so we can kind of let loose a little bit. Uh, what what you got this week? Uh, I am really really excited that I found this. This is one of those purchases that I um, periodically check. Like I I have a mental checklist. Like once I'm done looking through Discogs or. You know, if I happen to be, uh, you know, on Bandcamp Friday, like just kind of poking around, um, I always do revisit like a set number of lists in my head of like, oh, like I should, you know, for example, I always will will search Zorn, you know, just to see like if any 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 cheap good Zorn is out. Um, uh, always always trying to uh, finish oh, out my. I, I I still have a bunch of Zorn albums for you still. Yes, and I have that to, one to... font. It's not really even, but I have that one font and LCD for you. So, oh yeah, I uh, forgot about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I one of them that I always have looked for is uh, Two Hunters" by What Was in the Throne Room, and I've had the CD for a while. It was one of the first. It was one of the first albums that really got me into. Uh, it kind of helped get me over the hunt, the hump. Yeah, the hunt, over the hump, because I liked the idea of like early, you know, second wave black metal, but I just couldn't get into it, and like the combination of like. You know, atmosphere and shoegaziness, and you have like the the you know, kind of like ritual ambient vocals or whatever. Like that, something that really worked for me. It clicked for me. I also mm-hmm. really like Black Cascade. Um, I liked um, 
uh, Celestial Lineage, like I really got into them. But what I specifically wanted was not just you know any any version of Two Hunters, but um, um, I wanted the Scott. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, because I this was your album of the week last week. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it has been really. I, I I'm pretty sure it was. I I can look it up just to just to make sure. But I remember because we had our free episode last week. And we, we had this whole thing about uh, post-black metal that we were talking about. <laughs> no, we did Oh, my God. This this shows you the kind of work we've... Uh, it wasn't really... I mean, yeah, I have plenty of I, other albums. I, I'm, I'm going to look it up just to make sure. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, talk about egg or, I guess, tofu on my face. Wow. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. I just... I guess that, that just shows you how excited I am about this album, I guess. Um, <laughs> so you, you've just been listening to it? Uh, for the past two weeks. Yeah, because I mean, the whole thing was that I really, you know, it's just it's so I mean, easy. It, you you can have it be your your album of the week. No, I'm, no, I'm no, not no, gonna. No, uh, no, no uh, I'm I'm like really. Yeah, no, it's I, I, I it it was your album of the week last week. Ah, whew. wow, it really separates uh, the men from the boys, I guess. Picking it out. Yeah, oh, the, the the old men from the boys. I will <laughs> say that like this is I think the first time that we've had a repeat. Of course, it's a mistake, but yeah. Um, yeah, like, it just really, you know, it's really easy to flip the record, and it's, yeah, so, okay, well, I'm going to get my okay, head in the game. Okay, do, do, do you want me to, to, to tag in here? No, I actually, I have another okay. album that I could I could really easily talk about, because I've been listening okay. to this band a lot, because I got nostalgic, I was working late one night, and I had some, some scotch, and I, I decided, like, oh, I want to see if their albums are on Bullmoose, <laughs> and they had all of their albums on CD used for a cheap price. So, and like, I haven't even listened to, like, the newer ones. And so I just bought them all. And then the morning I woke up and said, oh, your package is coming. I'm like, is it? And then I checked. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, Enter Shikari. And specifically, I want to talk about um, their album uh, Common Dread. Just because oh, yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I, I mean, I listened to all the Flash for the Color. It was a great... And some of the, the newer albums are actually, you know, actually good, too. They, they shifted into more of, like, a synth-pop, alt-rock direction and became less heavy, but it's still, you know, still interesting to hear the kind of electronic focus that they have, um, you know, throughout their music and how it's kind of shape-shifted around, you know, post-hardcore, metalcore, and into just more rock-oriented sound. But what I really like about Common Dread is how they bridge the gap really well is, is it common dread or common dreads it might be plural common dreads be, because i always thought because you know like tonight we'll clock a thousand heads it is you know it is, tonight it is common do common dreads, dreads. Uh, i'll yeah, make okay. one more mistake before i'm done don't worry <laughs> no no um, i see I, I i'm just being a dick at no, this point so <laughs> but what, what i love is that t- i mean take to the skies is really really i mean it's a really fun album has a lot of great songs but there's definitely kind of a uh, a juvenile edge like it's definitely their first album you know, both just mm. in like songwriting and some of the lyrics and some of the, uh, you know, the sounds that the, I guess samples in a way like are a little bit you know rough around the edges. And I feel like Common Dreads is just such an amazing step up. Like it's everything. It, it's 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 whatever the opposite of a sophomore slump is. Like that's what Common Dreads is. And like just some some amazing amazing tracks on this. I mean the way that um, um, the way that the, the opener you know bleeds into solidarity and then juggernauts i'm not saying that we could do better and then you know <laughs> no sleep tonight is amazing uh and then of course my favorite um is zonked 
um, which is they just, always have the best song they titles. Do. But like that song in particular is just so something that I always liked and respect about their music is talk about a team effort is they let the electronics drive the rest of you know they specifically said that they I think Rue is his name they let him kind of drive the compositions with um, like what he had in mind for the electronic palettes and then everything fits into place after that. And I think ultimately it makes for better songwriting and helps everyone um, shine a little bit more. Like there are songs where there isn't much guitar, but when it comes in, it's really, really a focal point and really, really um, impactful. So. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's definitely like I I definitely like that about them too. That it it didn't feel like it was like a gimmick in a way. Yeah, yeah like exactly like that. That's a more concise way to put it. It's just it felt like it really every song benefited from it. Like I think of a band like Attack Attack, who just it felt mm. like they just threw synths in the mix because like hey that's cool that's quirky. But like when you listen to the synths, like not only were they not that complex, like not that it has to be super complex, but they were very simple. And oftentimes, we're just kind of really, um, like, almost matching the general melody. Like, there wasn't much creativity. Like, it was just very much like, oh, okay, well, that kind of sounds like the chorus. That kind of sounds that kind of sounds yeah. like the, the vague guitar lead we have. Um, yeah, I, I, I get you. No, it's, I see. I don't think I've listened to Common Dreads all that much. I I remember I bought Takes of the Skies, and I probably listened to that once or twice but i wasn't a huge fan but we were we got really into them when flash flood to color came out i remember which and i i love that album it's still such a I, such a great album yeah i re-listened to it yeah. um again today you know after you know I, I just had these spinning for quite a while in the car and at home gandhi mate remember gandhi <laughs> um i think it was it's minesweeper uh yeah there's definitely a a drop off after a flash flood of color uh but yeah I, I think they were kind of like in a process of like rediscovery but i i never listened to any of those because i think around that time i started getting into like weirder stuff kind of and like that that took a lot of my attention yeah for sure and i, I think e even all these years later i really do appreciate how i mean how creative they were and, and again like you said just how much it fit like they did not shoehorn the electronics in. Like they, it just yeah. it felt like they really, um, like everything really belongs. And I think that really, I, it, it was also the. I think they're the only band I can think of that actually uses chaos pads and doesn't make them like sound stupid. No, it's really good. Like, like the way <laughs> so. that they, uh, especially I think they saw, "Sorry Not a Winner," which is one of their you know, first big hits. Like it, it utilizes the chaos pad really, really well. Um, yeah, and something I just looking up them up real quick. They have had the same four members their entire career, which is really That's, it's really you, interesting. You don't see that a lot, especially not. I think in this genre, in this genre, you see people. You know, it, aren't all the members of Converge still together? Like, uh, I think mo I think they might have had an extra guitarist at one point, but I yeah. think they're, they're very very close to that for sure. Yeah, Mastodon too, but I mean, I think we're yeah. veering away from more like pop punk into like more hardcore metal but yeah, yeah. no it, it is really cool to see a band like them you know sort of keep going um yeah no i'm i'm, I'm with you I, I really need to buy that album again uh i don't know what happened I, I don't i don't know if i ever actually bought a copy now that i think about it. i think i just borrowed yours and just like ripped it or something 
Um, um, that sounds that sounds about right. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I mean, I I did. I feel like I did that with like a good amount of like your CD library back in the day. But I think we we both learned where. This is actually why, or that was actually why I stopped pirating music because I just found that I would pirate stuff and then never listen to it. Because yeah, exactly. That, that that's why I stopped doing that. It, too. it just inherently lost value because it was so like there was no. You know, I, I like the discovery. Like, I like being able. That's to... That's part of the reason I, I I don't really listen to a ton of like you know streaming music anymore, is is because of that. Like I just well, I mean I I think it's just like too much like like too much of an option almost. Like I I, I kind of have to keep a list nowadays of like if I want to listen to something new, what it'll be almost. Yeah, I mean, like, absolutely, yeah. and I just I love the. The conquest, like I remember, you know, finding that album by uh, Demigod, like that deep cut, like '90s death metal album. Yeah. Like I've listened to that a number of times on you know Spotify and then Apple Music, and you know, but actually finding a physical copy, like there's just something special, you know, there's something different, you know, there's something there's yeah. extra value to like, okay, I found this, I own it now because you know there's only a finite number of people who actually own like an OG copy of this versus the umpteen million people who have streamed. It. And then, and then moved on to the next death metal album. Like it was something that you know, I really like, you know, seeing in my connection and and, and having um, accessible. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, Inner Shikari, right. Common Dreads. There you go. All right. An actual album that I have not mentioned before, and, <laughs> and hopefully I have absolved myself of embarrassment. No, no, you're fine. Uh, I was going to say no. It's still pretty embarrassing. No, no, you're no. You should, you should you're, still you're fine. You should still feel ashamed. Look, I, I I have said much much more embarrassing things i, I mean <laughs> and, you, and you know it <laughs> I, I mean we've been doing this podcast for a while now so the fact that that's the first repeat that i, I can remember at least i feel okay. yeah it's just it's it's especially embarrassing that usually you think we might have had a repeat after a few months uh having it literally the week after is a, a special kind of embarrassment but say <laughs> yeah l- say no, l- it, l- it, it's funny um okay so i guess i'm talking about my album of the week yes. uh I was trying to figure out what it was earlier today, and then uh, because I, I had uh, Leprous's Pitfalls on in the car, oh, nice. uh, which is a great album. Uh, I I can't wait to see what they what they follow it up with. I will say real, real uh, quick, like when I got into Leprous and then you got into them too. That that's one of the I was surprised, like pleasantly surprised. But I don't know for some reason I didn't think you'd like them, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah, no, that's great. I, I just Einar man, he just makes that band for yes, me. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, but anyway, I, I, I was listening to this and then I put on my next CD and uh, that is my album of the week. Uh, it is uh, Reachin', A New Refutation of Time and Space by Diggable Planets. Ooh. Uh, yeah, which Ooh. is an album that you bought me. Uh, I think not too long ago, maybe maybe a year ago. It feels like yeah. I, I, I specifically remember that you were like, you came up with like both Blowout Comb and Reachin', and you were like, do you have these? And I'm like, no, and you're like, okay, I'm buying these for you. <laughs> yeah, it was our usual, you know, we go to Bomus after Christmas time, or around Christmas yeah. time, and I think you were like, I might put these back, and I'm like, well, then I am going to get them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not letting you leave the I, store without them. Which, I, I, I've i listened to both, uh, I mean, a few times, probably not as much as I should have, I, but, man, just having this thing on today, like, I mean, from the first track where they sample uh, Rain Dance by Herbie Hancock, uh, just as, like, the opener, was just, like... I'm like, yeah, this is my album of the week. Like, I, and you know, I, I mean, I, I think compared to Blow Come, I, I feel like this is more of like 
you know, closer to that golden age, da-da-da-da-da, cadence, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, but they still really do a good job of, like, even making that sound fresh. And, uh, in, in fresh with a pH. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh. no. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just like I think it's it's such a great great jazz rap album and I really wish that I I, I wish that more people kind of gravitated towards that as like an exemplary jazz rap album instead of like you know low end theory which I I, I know what you're going to say is like low end theory is is not that good etc cetera, etc cetera. kind of in agreement I actually had uh, Midnight Marauders on earlier this week too I, I but um I, and I definitely I have to agree with you but just I don't know I, I like when you're actually sampling jazz, that is jazz rap in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I actually was gonna say verbatim, uh, low theory isn't that good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was right on the <laughs> right on the money. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I remember uh, Fantano had to blow out comb, and he was speaking highly of it. But I'm like, I mean, it's literally an album with a comb on it. How good, how good could it be? That's kind of dumb. <laughs> and then uh, I put it on and was like well, well fuck <clears throat> holy shit that's really really <laughs> cool screw you you're uh, wrong <laughs> i know but, but yeah to myself uh that was another cool story where it was a record store on long island and i found both cds for like three dollars each and nice. i was just like holy shit nice. which is crazy because they they kind of reminded me of uh, music connection here in manchester where some of their prices seem like absurdly low and the other prices you're like oh my god who would ever like who would pay yeah. that much for a record? So that was thankfully that was one of the good swings where it was on the you know low end. Oh yeah, spectrum. but yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that they're a well kept secret and they're like in the underground and like underappreciated. But on the other end, I kind of wish they got more attention because they're really, like I feel like I didn't learn about them until a little bit too late in my jazz yeah, or my rap. Isn't it kind of weird that like we learned about Shabazz Palaces before Diggable Planets? Exactly. Oh yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, learned about like the, you know, aside. I guess aside. I mean, to be fair, I think I did the same thing with uh, the Mars Volta. Like I, I knew of at the drive-in, but like I did not care either way about them. But I was so into the Mars Volta, and still am. But you know, Uh, but but I, I, I guess. No, I I would say that they're like different sounds, but I mean Shabazz Palace is a very different sound. Um, I actually had Black Up on the other day, and still, I mean, I I guess I'm on kind of like an Ishmael Butler kick. Yeah, wow, but... it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm in a bad. I need to get out of this funk, but like I I, I feel like the the progression of of Shabazz Palace's career. Has kind of like, <laughs> I I knew we, yeah, like, I knew you were gonna bring this up I if I brought on, up Shabazz Palaces. But I haven't put up on Black Up in a while just because when I think of Shabazz Palaces, I think of the fact that their last like on team you know like pretty much Les Majesty was was okay, and then everything else I just really haven't liked. And it yeah. just like then I, when I think of them, I just have negative vibes. It just makes me sad. But I need to listen to Black Up again because I remember when that first came out, it just blew my blew my li- blew my little I mind. I think I think Black Up turns like ten years old this year. Really? If I remember right. Yeah, because I think it came out in 2011. It did. Oh, we have to yeah. do an anniversary for it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. But until then, uh, we are going to sign off because we are at like almost eight, an hour and eight minutes. So. <laughs> almost at eight uh, hours. 
eight, eight hours. <laughs> that, that's going to be a fun episode when we do our eight-hour episode. Man, I don't even um, know how many pee breaks we'd have to take. My, I don't think my bladder could handle that. Yeah, no, we, me neither. So. <laughs> anyway, like, I'm going to leave you with that image. But <laughs> Okay, yeah. All right, so uh, have a nice week thinking of, of us peeing. So uh, <laughs> and, and, until next week, <laughs> bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.